So, Joe, um, what are your thoughts on virtual CISOs? And do you believe that they can add any actual uh, tangible value uh, to an organization? I think it really comes down to the type of organization, the business, and also the size. Um, many organizations, in order for the virtual CISO to be successful, they really have to have very good working relationship with the businesses. Mm -hmm. um, so businesses which are much more kind of uh, operational focused or service focused or whatever the type of uh, service they're delivering, um, there is certain situations where a virtual CISO can work. But I think we really need to think about what the virtual CISO role is because it's not a true CISO role in regards to what it would be in an organization. For example, CISO is responsible for the strategy and responsible for getting budget and responsible for mapping and getting the leaderships in the team in order to be able to achieve the, the goals that they're set out. Mm -hmm. um, but the virtual CISO can perform some of those activities, not all of them. I definitely believe that they can be much more of a strategist role. So it's probably more of a, this virtual CISO would be more strategy focused about small businesses or medium businesses that really want to know what technologies out there are hard to prioritize or hard to do risk assessments. So I definitely think there is a role for the virtual CISO, but I believe it's much more probably tailored to being a strategist role than a traditional CISO role that many organizations would have. Yeah, so on that then, with the virtual CISOs, what do you think when it comes into, well, when we're talking about organizations that have uh, compliance regulations, for example, what are your thoughts on that? I think for small, medium businesses that are regulated or have some type of compliance that they need to adhere to, I think that's a great area where the CISO or virtual CISO can really help. Uh, because they probably have a lot more knowledge and understanding about things like compliance when it comes to access controls, when it comes to auditing, when it comes to policies. Mm. Um, and they can definitely help smaller businesses and medium businesses get up to speed quicker and be able to map the compliance much faster. Uh, mm. Because that's one of the main challenges that small and medium businesses have if they have some type of requirement like a GDPR or Cyber Essentials or even a PCI or ISO then a virtual CISO can really help them accelerate that much faster than they would do without. But do you think that they can really be effective um, you know, in the term virtual CISO? Um, essentially, do you think there's certain things that they're going to be missing? Um, you know, all organizations in, in any vertical are, are very, they, they've got their own ways of doing things. Do you really think that being a virtual CISO and, and not being essentially an integral part of the business, as it were? Or do you see that they are an integral part of the business? But do you really think that they could be um, as effective as an, an in-house CISO? Absolutely not. When you're in-house, you have much more visibility of what's happening. You get to see, you get to communicate more effectively. You get to be there. You get to see the problems and challenges. You mm -hmm. get to communicate with the leaders, the peers, the business. As a virtual CISO, you, you will not have that interaction. You may even have multiple customers that you're actually re representing. Mm. Um, so you will not have as much of that interaction or the ability to impact the organization as it would if you were actually in-house as part of the organization. And what you can, it's probably more of an advisory side of things, uh, similar to the role I do as I'm right. an advisory CISO, not a virtual CISO. When my advisory CISO role is helping advise CISOs into best technologies out there, best practices, you know, prioritizations, how to do effective cyber awareness uh, programs. So it becomes much more of that advisory where I said before, it's more of that strategy side, mm. is how to get the best um, out of that type of role without actually needing to be uh, part of the business. But in, in that respect then, wouldn't you think that there's less, um, less pressure on the virtual CISO. I mean, you know, they've got, they've got less to lose, essentially. They, you know, they can make these uh, advisories and they can make these recommendations. Um, but at the end of the day, 
because they're not integrated into the business, where are their real interests? Yeah, definitely accountability is a big part of this. Um, so responsibility and accountability uh, must be part of at least the contractual agreements between the, the virtual CISO and the organization. So if you are going down that path of deciding that you know, you're not large enough, or you want to at least start maybe planning to have a, a CISO type of role, but you don't want to have it in-house at that stage, then a virtual CISO can help you prepare and plan. But absolutely accountability and responsibility needs to be part of that you know, uh, contract between the company and the virtual CISO, that they are responsible. There is consequences for failure. Uh, there is consequences for breaches. Um, and of course, reputation, uh, if that virtual CISO uh, does fail, then uh, reputation also you know, is a permanent in this industry as well. Yeah. So you recently uh, attended and wrote about your experiences uh, at Black Hat this mm-hmm. year. Um, so can you tell me what are the, the biggest things that you took away from the event? What, what, what do you find that, or what did you find that was really important that you, that you were able to take away this year? Absolutely. I mean, this year, I think it was probably one of my favorite and best black hats that I've attended. And in Jeff Moss's, uh, also DT or Dark Tangent, uh, his opening remarks, I thought was uh, one of the key takeaways that I got. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really highlighted the need for good communication. We need to be better at communication in our industry to be successful. Uh, we are very technology focused. We're very kind of focused around solutions and the threats and the landscapes and so forth. Um, but we need to be much better at communication. And that was more about, he said that actually communication can be the difference between you getting security budget or even between you getting fired. Right. That that's the difference that communication can make. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that as I listen more and more, I also realize that, yes, it's not just about us communicating to the business in regards mm-hmm. to security and, and, and you know, cyber attacks and threats. Mm-hmm. But it's also about us listening to the business. Communication is two-way. It shouldn't be just one-way direction. Interesting. And what was really important was is that communication is also about listening to employees, listening to the peers, and understanding what makes them successful as well. Mm-hmm. And another big key thing that I also, from that communication, was that I also found that between both security professionals and hackers, Majority of hackers are good citizens trying to help organizations. And we also need to be better at communicating between security professionals and hackers as well. Because that combined, um, while we're trying to achieve the same goal, a little bit, you know, all the different perspectives or approaches of doing it, we're all trying to achieve the same, you know, the same thing is to make companies and citizens more secure. So definitely communication and better communication between the security professionals and uh, hackers themselves. Yeah, I think just to, just to kind of stop you on that point, I think it's quite interesting because, and we, we've talked a lot about this with regards to communicate, communicating mm-hmm. to the board, but the fact that you mentioned uh, the two-way communication is, is, is obviously quite important because, and, and it's the same thing with the hackers as well, you're right? Um, we always see um, people publicizing hackers as the, 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 the threat you want to stop, if you like. Yeah. Um, but essentially, you're right. You know, there's a, there's a lot of groups and a lot of individuals and, and, and eth- ethical hacking Correct. that are really trying to help these organizations. So we should really be kind of working together. And I think the two-way communication is, is, a, is a great way to, to kind of start. Absolutely. I really find that this is the year and next year will be the year that we need to listen more. Mm-hmm. Um, if we stop and listen and reflect and understand what employees are trying to achieve and what makes them successful mm-hmm. and align our goals to help them achieve them, then we'd be much better at our, actually at our jobs. My job in cybersecurity is to help the business be successful and reduce business risk, not just to do cybersecurity. And another uh, important takeaway that I found was, and it was a bit skeptical going in, which was Dino's uh, keynote. So Dino's keynote was about uh, that all uh, security teams need to be software teams. And I was like, 
no way. Not, um, for me, that yeah. was not resonating with me. So when I read the abstract, and I, don't, I was like, I had to attend the session <laughs> to really get, get what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, but I actually thought that the title itself was not reflective of what he actually did talk about. And I thought his message was, was fantastic. And I was really happy that I attended the keynote itself, that he really reflected that we must, be, in order for us to take action and care about things, first of all, was we must fear the risk. So we must be afraid of the risk itself. And then in order to make action, we shouldn't stop at that point of just fearing the risk. What we should really do is understand the risk, take it to the next level, do a risk assessment, understand it. And only when you understand the risk can you then look at what you can do to reduce the risk. So that for me was a major kind of takeaway and actually something that I thought was clear in his message. He also talked about automation. We need to be able to do more automation because that's what allows us to scale. We don't always get unlimited, uh, you know, unlimited resources and unlimited budget. We have to look at ways we can be effective and efficient, and automation is one of the key ways. And one of the ways that we've been doing it for many years, but we have to get better at it. We have to get better at doing automation that really helps us scale more effectively and efficiently.